0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. The book of Proverbs, chapter 31, and we're taking a break from our study on heaven to take an opportunity to honor women, particularly particularly mothers that are with us today. Mother's Day is an important day for a simple reason. Uh, for most people, there isn't anyone who's nearer and dearer to us than our mother. When a man takes a wife, his mother is no less important to him. Well, she takes a different place in his life, but mom is still very much important to us. And I was talking to Jorge just a few days ago. And he was telling me about a man that he works with that just often, almost regularly in his speech, he takes the Lord's name and uses it as a curse word. And Jorge said he was offended by that as well. He should have been. And so he said to this man that he works with, he said, why do you use God's name that way? He said, whenever you want to curse, why don't you just substitute your mother's name? Now, I'm not sure if he had the duck right after he said that, but... (laughs) To most of us, that would be a very offensive thing to say. What we would much rather do is to take the Lord's name in vain than we would to say something bad about our mothers. It's odd that we respect people sometimes more than we do our Lord God. So you might want to remember that. It's not a good thing. It's a very bad thing to use God's name as a curse word. And neither, of course, would we want to substitute our mother's name when we decide that we want to curse. Now, we put mothers right up next to God, and so one of the things that we fathers have to do, we just have to suck it up, and we know that our children like us, but there's nothing like mom. Nobody is like mom. Mother's Day is a part of our culture. Uh, Today has been an official part of United States holidays since the early 20th century, but the uh, informal practice of Mother's Day goes back much, much further and Mother's Days are good. Uh, it's a righteous thing for us to do to honor our mothers. Uh, God gave us ten commandments that are representative of all the commands that he gave. And, and very strategically placed as number five in the list of the commandments is to honor thy father and thy mother. The apostle Paul emphasized it in his instructions to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 6. He said, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest live long on the earth. So Paul says there is a promise that is attached to the command that if you honor your parents, it will be well with you. Or as that Great Bible expositor Mr. Spock said you will live long and prosper if you honor your father and your mother. Now this this might be why there's so much anarchy in the world today and why uh, there's discontent in American families. It's because the family has been upset because we don't have the respect for our parents that we ought to have. The Bible puts a very high premium on the respect of parents. Listen to this frightening warning that's given in Proverbs 20, verse 20. It says, Whoso curseth his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. Now, there are two ways that that can be interpreted. It could mean that a person who is disrespectful to his parents will go blind. Now, that's odd, considering the reference here is 2020, that we would find that in this passage. And it might be that it means that the disrespect of parents is such a natural thing that a person who dishonors his parents is worse than a beast, or his conscience is worse than an animal. Or as one commentator put it, he said, the light of nature shall be extinct in him. And then there are many other scriptures that have terrible warnings. Exodus 21 verse 17 says that a person who curses father or mother should be put to death. And do you know who repeated that in the New Testament? It was Jesus. Matthew 15. He said, For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father, father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. And I'll, I'll leave that to your interpretation to see what you think that that means. So we learn from the Bible that what we're doing here today in celebration of our mothers is the best thing that we can do for them Uh, We we do this in order to remind ourselves of how much that God expects us to hold up our mothers, to hold our parents up, and and to respect them as we should. Now today, I'd like for us to think about one parent, that is, mother. And today, I want to talk in general what the Bible says about a godly woman. a, A woman who becomes a wife and a mother. A woman that reflects her relationship with the Lord upon her family. And if you're an unmarried woman here today, there will be something in the sermon for you as well, something good for you. Now, if you look at chapter 31 and verse number 28, I want to give you the end of the sermon at the beginning, because this is the result of the life of a godly, virtuous woman. Verse 28, her children arise up and call her blessed, and her husband also, and he praiseth her. And isn't that what we're doing today? Today. Uh, today, we bless our mothers and husbands here, praise their godly wives. Now, I think this very important point needs to be made as we look at this text, that looking at the big picture of what the Bible has to say, or the Bible's attitude towards women, the Scriptures praise women. The Scriptures honor motherhood. There's this terrible false claim of misogyny that's made against the Bible's authors, that people accuse God of hating women and putting women down as second-class citizens. The feminist movement, I think, has fostered much of that because they regard the biblical order of the man and woman to be outdated. It's, out, it's old-fashioned. We don't need that anymore. We need a, dif- a different system. The Bible actually promotes the equality of women But nowhere does the Bible say that men and women are the same. Now, the Bible author that gets the most flack on this subject is the Apostle Paul, when it was actually Paul who did more to raise the awareness of the equality of women than anyone at his time. It was Paul who wrote this in the Galatian letter, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus." Now, what Paul receives his criticism for is sticking to God's plan that women should not take the role of men in society. God has an order that's good for all. His order is not demeaning in any way towards women or men. It's just telling us that the roles of men and women are different and men and women shine when they're in their own sphere. Fathers can't do what mothers do, and mothers can't do what fathers do. And so we demean both men and women when we force them into roles that God did not make for them. And so when the roles become mixed or reversed, men and women become failures in those roles. When we don't respect what God has told us to do, there is failure for us if we don't do what God has made each of us to do. Now, please understand that what I'm saying here has nothing to do with, with equal pay in the workplace. But it does have everything to do with whether a woman should be in the workplace to begin with. Let me stand back a little bit. It's some protection behind the pulpit here when I say that. Is the woman in her God-given sphere of responsibility in the workplace? Now, we can see how... Problems have been created with broken homes and rotten children when we upset the societal order that God has constructed. Now, it's abundantly clear that God exalts women in the position that he ordained. Now, today people are are offended if we say that the woman's place is in the home. And yet the home is the place where God says that she shines. And as we can see in this chapter, that being in charge of the home does not mean that a woman is sitting in the house chained to a stove and, and uh, uh, chained to the chores, household chores that she does every day. The Proverbs woman that we're looking at here is nothing like that. She rules the home in her own way. And everything that she does in the home is hers to make it work the way that it should. Now, You could just say this, that a woman is at home in the home. Now, since we upset God's order about 75 years ago, who could argue that society has become better? Now, God made the social order. God has a plan for human relationships. And when that order is upset, chaos results. A Proverbs is a very good book for us to learn life's lessons. This book was written about wisdom. It's about the personification and the elevation of wisdom. And it shows in many different pictures the relationships that we should have with one another. Now, to understand why Proverbs ends the way that it does in this 31st chapter, we have to go back to the beginning to see what the purpose of it is. So I'd like you to turn back to chapter 1 for just a moment, and we're going to look at the beginning, and we'll read a few verses here that set the course for the rest of this book. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse number 1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equity, to give subtly to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels, to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord "...is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck." So do you see the purpose that's given? To argue against what's written here is actually to argue against God. The purpose here, according to Solomon, is to gain wisdom, to acquire knowledge... To increase understanding. Now, this, this book shows us God's wise ways. And there is no feminist or any other person who's wise enough to argue with God. Who teaches wisdom? Who is it that gives us understanding? Well, the answer to that, of course, is father and mother. This book is full of pithy sayings that contrast wisdom and foolishness. And it's interesting that we go to chapter 31 in verse number 1. The, the chapter that's about godly women, and we learn there that this wisdom was taught to a child, taught to was taught to Solomon by his mother. Proverbs 31 verse 1 says, the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. Now, most Bible scholars agree that Lemuel is another name for Solomon. It may be a pet name that she gave him a nickname that she might have given him for his for fondness to him. And when Solomon was chosen to be the king, you remember that he prayed for wisdom. And apparently his mother had already implanted enough wisdom in him to know that he should keep seeking wisdom, keep asking for more wisdom. Wisdom excels. Chapter 4, verse 7 says, "'Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom.'" And with all thy getting, get understanding. So how valuable is a mother that teaches her children wisdom? Now, what we see here in chapter 31 is a loving mother who wants the best for her son. Now, mothers hate to give up their sons, at least most of them do. Now, some of you mothers here, you might have a child or two that you would like to get rid of. But deep down in your heart, you really know this to be true, that mothers do not like to turn loose of their babies. But when a mother has to let go, she wants her son to have the right kind of woman. She wants her son to have a godly wife and to give him the same love and care that she gave him. So what we see here in this text is a godly mother telling her son what to look for in a wife. Now be honest with you, as wise as Solomon was, he missed the mark in his wisdom about women. Now his mother gave him some very good advice, good information here, but either he didn't follow the instructions well, or he followed them too well, because he never thought that he found the right wife. So he married a thousand of them, looking for the right one. Proverbs 18.22 says that whoever finds a wife finds a good thing, and apparently... Solomon believed it too much or he misinterpreted it. Uh, It says, whoever finds a wife, and he should have taken that to be one wife. So he got too much of a good thing. And, And it turned out it was a very bad thing for him because all of his ungodly wives that he chose turned him against God. Now let's take just a few minutes to look at this text and see what a wife and a mother and in general what a woman should be. Now, I want you to notice first that a godly woman is an elegant exception. Verse 10 says, Who can find a virtuous woman, for her price is far above rubies? Who can find a virtuous woman? Some translations say, an excellent woman. John Trapp, an old Puritan preacher, said that good wives are a rare commodity. Virtuous, excellent women are an exceptionally rare commodity now it is interesting that looking at the apostle paul i was talking about just a moment ago who's who people say he was a woman hater uh, they don't really like his theology as i said earlier though he upheld women and there were many virtuous women that were in paul's company when he first went to philippi who was it that listened to him well paul found women And Paul taught women. His first converts in Philippi were women. He found women that were by the river at Philippi, and they were very devout. They were worshiping God in the best way that they knew how. And so Paul stopped to witness them about the God that they ignorantly worshipped, and they believed what he said. Paul applauded women who were faithful followers of the Lord. Many of them were great helpers. We think of Priscilla. who who helped Paul, and she taught that great orator and that great preacher, Apollos. She taught him the deeper things of the Word of God that she received from Paul. And then there was Phoebe, who was at the church in Korea, and she received a special commendation from Paul. And there in that same 16th chapter, among many of the names that Paul mentions and gives them praise for their work in the church, were women. Now, it's hard to find women that are like these. But this we know, that there are women who do much of the work of the church that sorry men simply won't do. And so, without godly women, our churches would be in seriously bad shape. Now, the counsel of a godly mother is important for her children, and she counsels her sons not to be too hasty in looking for a wife, not to settle too soon, because a good woman is hard to find. Verse number 10 compares her to a precious jewel that she is more valuable than ruby. So you have to search hard. You have to sift through a lot of imitation gems. But this woman that Paul describes is not an impossible one to find. Now a young man ought not to be guided by his hormones, but by wisdom to find the one jewel of a woman who loves the Lord and wants to give him a good home. The godly woman has always been an exception and we can see it here. This text was written about 3,000 years ago. And this, this problem has not gotten better since. Now, I encourage you ladies to be honest with yourselves. Are you the exception? Are you a jewel? Are you a rare find or are you a cheap imitation? Can you be had for a, for a small price? Or does God rule you so that you're pure? Could a man pick up a dozen of you anywhere that he chooses to look? Well, maybe this is what's wrong, that there are many ladies that have trouble holding on to a young man because they are not exceptional women. You put them in a lineup and they don't shine because you could find a dozen of them in a bar on Saturday night or as many as you want to find clubbing on the weekends. Unless I pick on young ladies too much let me say this that young men need to be virtuous too they must decide that they want to find a jewel and so he must be the kind of man that uses wisdom to look in the right places where godly women can be found now god knows what he's talking about he says to be holy as he is holy and when we are holy people are going to be paired up with holy people and so this scripture encourages women to read and to see the model and to follow this and to become the exceptional rare find that a woman needs to be now secondly i want you to see that a godly woman has a righteous reputation although she is a rare find she isn't an accidental find because her reputation proves what she is I mean, her luster is seen in all that she does. It's evidenced in the many ways that she shows herself and carries herself. It's in the way that she speaks, whether she is too assertive or whether there's just the right amount of humility. Her reputation is good, and a man who finds her does not need to worry about his own reputation because he's married to her. Now, we live in an age... When bad deeds will follow you everywhere. We live in a time when you can post one bad picture or make one lewd comment and that will follow you forever. You have to watch yourself. You have to make sure that you don't have a bad reputation because that reputation can be set in stone. And you can't scratch that out no matter how hard you try because the record is there. So you don't want to be a woman who leaves a trail of ugly lewdness behind her. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. I was walking up Taylor Mountain just a few weeks ago, and I heard two women, saw two women that were approaching me, and I, as I got closer, I could hear them talk. And they were cursing like sailors. It was horrible things that they were saying. And as I passed them, I just looked, and I said, I'm sure glad that I didn't marry something like that. A good man wants to find a wife that he can have confidence in. He doesn't have to worry about what she's doing. You see this in verse number 11? The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. Her husband can safely trust in her. He knows that he's not going to lose with her. Why? Because she has a righteous righteous reputation. She's busy about her household. She's taking care of the business of the home. She's building a home for him and her children. Her sphere is in that home where she can leave a lasting legacy with her children. Verse 12 says that she'll do her husband good and not evil all the days of his life. Now a husband knows when he has a good wife. He knows it when she takes care of him. I I love to see this in couples. When you get older, you see one partner that's caring for another. A good wife gives attention to her husband. And understand that what I'm saying here does not need to be reciprocated because it certainly does. A husband should give back. But please understand here that I'm emphasizing women today. I'm showing you what the Bible says about a godly woman. Now, when I got married... I found a wife that's better than me. She's totally devoted to me. She excels. And she has health problems now. And I know that now that she does, I, I, I'm just not nearly as considerate of her as she has been of me. She's very special. She's different. She can have barely enough strength to get up. And I can have a head cold. And she's concerned about me. She makes sure I get all the medicine that I need, and she helps me to get my rest. This past week, she's been a caregiver for me. She's taken care of me all week long. Now, because of the way that a woman takes care of her husband, she gains his respect. He succeeds, and she does everything that she can to make sure that he does succeed. Now, you might think that I'm way too old-fashioned in this, but, but I have to ask you again, has our society gotten better since we've gotten away from this? Now, the feminist hates this kind of talk. Why? Well, because, quite frankly, they don't usually have a good reputation. Now, excuse my generalizations about this, but I think I'm right about it. Now, I'm not trying to be a Donald Trump here, but I do think I'm right about this. Um, Feminists are assertive. They're overbearing. You listen to them talk. When is there conversations about others rather than self? Who has ever seen a selfless feminist? Who is a godly woman that buys in to the kind of speech that they give us? Now the feminist calls a godly woman Stepford wife. She's harnessed by a man who won't let her breathe. But a godly woman never feels that way. She's industrious for her home. She's busy making her family look good and her husband to be top-notch. Her family is her life. She loves what she can do for them. She is fulfilled by her family. She doesn't feel oppressed. She doesn't feel oppressed because she does these things. She loves it because her husband is honored and he honors her because he has a home that is so uncommon. Verses 13 to 19 speak of her industriousness. And do you see all the things that this godly woman does? She's a buying agent. She's she's an early riser. She takes care of the house. She goes out to get the provisions. She deals in real estate. She is a farmer, an assessor. She is a clothing manufacturer. Now, back in the 1960s, uh, the soap operas came to television, and that ruined a lot of industriousness. TV has a lot to do with ruining the American home. It takes away from the time of the business of the home, the Bible, and the quality time that we ought to have with our family suffers. And so, you know, I just have to ask, who would want to trade this Proverbs 31 woman for the housewives of a reality show? Well, the sad thing is, most of that probably is reality. And I don't watch that junk because it shows us everything that our home should not be. Too often, families... Don't sit down together to share a meal. When I was growing up, mom never failed to have dinner on the table. Mom and dad made sure that we all sat down together. We prayed together before we ate. That strengthened our family. When our children were young, my wife would do the same thing. Now look at this woman. She seeks wool and flax. She works with her hands. In Solomon's time, women knew how to make clothes. They were good at spinning. They knew all the right materials to use and the ability to dress her husband and her children was greatly admired. That enhanced his reputation. Maybe you think I'm living too much in the past here, but I have to ask a question. What happened to women who knew how to sew? Um, I'm not saying that sewing's going to get you into heaven, but who's going to make all those white robes when we get there? These are some of the things that are indications of how a virtuous woman is always on top of things in order to take care of her family. I remember Nancy Crandall. Some of you remember Nancy. And she had this big quilting machine in in her living room. And she made beautiful quilts. She knew how to do that kind of thing. I mean, what's better, to get one of those quilts or go to Walmart and buy one? She knew how to do that. So what we're going to do next Thursday night, we're going to start a sewing class. And I'm sure that all the godly women are going to show up for that. Now look further down at verses 21 to 24. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen, and selleth it, and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. She is not afraid of the snow, the Scripture says. And why isn't she afraid of snow? What does that mean? She's not afraid of it because her children are dressed for it. She made sure that she provided for her family. She prepared them. She put the finest clothes on them. Now today, parents around here are not afraid of the beach. And I mean by that, the kids go out... Dressed with hardly anything on, so she's not too worried about the clothes that they have on. Let let me just throw something in right here. What's wrong with people in clothing? I mean, how do we get to the place that the grungier you look, the more fashionable you are? And how did we get to the place that having holes in your jeans and rips everywhere is somehow chic? Or that it's functional to wear your pants down around your knees? I mean, how did that happen to us? And how is it fashionable to wear pajamas to Walmart? Now, I mentioned this the other day that I am so self-conscious about clothes, for myself, that is, that when, when I hike up Taylor Mountain, I want to be neat and clean. I don't go up Taylor my- Mountain on a hike with a spot on my shirt. Now, you ask my wife what I do when I get ready for church. If I happen to see the smallest spot I'll change the complete wardrobe in order to get rid of it. I won't wear that to church. If I get to church and I find out one's there, I agonize over that until I get home and can do something about it. I'm not, I'm not really fussing at anybody today, but you need to look in the mirror sometimes. M- maybe you ought to dress better because it looks like your mother didn't teach you anything at home. And maybe... You are dishonoring her because you're you're treating her badly. You're ruining her reputation by the way that you look. Now, according to this text, the virtuous woman cares about things like this. It says that her husband is known in the gates. Now, in, in ancient times, the gates of the city had areas beside them where the men would meet. Judgments were made there, decisions that needed to be made, deliberations were made at the gate... And there was a lot of traffic that goes in and out of the city. And so the woman wanted to make sure that her man looked good to all the people that are coming in and out of the city. And when he was respected for the way that he looked, she was respected as well because she's the one that helped him to look like that. That spoke well of her. Now, my point in this, again, is this is about family. The virtuous woman is the one who takes care of family. Her husband and her children are her life. Getting a promotion to be vice president of Google is not her dream. And running for uh, running HP at a corporation or being in Congress is not her dream. Being Hillary would be hellacious to her. That's not what she's interested in. Now, you, you don't want to hear me say this, and it's not going to make me popular, but the woman's place is in the home. If we didn't have half the stuff that we don't need, then women would be at home. And women and the home are the backbone of the church. Our chief goal in this is to serve God acceptably. Now maybe you think that what we should do then is just change our name to the Stepford Baptist Church. And I, I think the podcast listeners already think that's what it is. Now I need to go on though. Number three is that a godly woman has caring compassion. Verse number 20. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor... Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. I want you to get the real meaning of this verse. Do you see that it doesn't say that she gives money to the poor and needy? Most of us think that our duty is served if, if we hand $20 to a homeless person. But this verse says she stretches out her hand. And the meaning is that she gives of herself. She wants to know how she can help. She says, what can I do for you? You know, I appreciate it so much when there's somebody who's sick in the church and and people get together and they cook something, they take it over to a family that uh, might not be able to fix a meal for themselves. We appreciate godly women in the church that when somebody is going to have an operation, they go over and they sit with the family and then they stay in the waiting room for hours. We don't see very much of that anymore. Some of you will do that. You have care and compassion and, and hospitality. That's not in vogue very much in a me-first society. It's good for pray, to pray for people. And we tell people, I'll pray for you. But how often do we say, what can I do for you? Now, Since my wife has been sick, we've had numerous offers of help. This past week when I've been down, we've had lots of offers of help. Some want to bring food. Mina Regularly asks me, Can I do something for you? Can I clean the house for you? Do you need some help? Others have asked that. These are virtuous women. They're godly women that know about family. They care about others. They are compassionate. They aren't out beating a drum of equal rights because they think that they've been oppressed and they're too good to do anything for anybody but them. Now I mention how my wife is compassionate towards me. She's sick but a virtuous woman doesn't dwell on that. She fights through that the best that she can because she's concerned about me, not about her. And this is what we sorry husbands do. When we come home, we we fall exhausted on the couch and we complain about how tired we are. We don't want to hear how she spent her day and how hard it is for her with the kids and doing the laundry and cleaning the house and cooking the meals. We don't want to hear that she's tired. She's not tired. Her problem is she didn't plan her day right. And maybe that's why some virtuous women shoot their husbands in the head because the world would be a better place without them. She knows that. So do you you know why women are in the home and not men? It's because we don't have enough compassion. We, We would never take care of family in the home the way that our wives do. We we dress our, you know, sometimes we get put in charge of those things. We we dress our kids backwards to send them to school. We give them half a Pop-Tart, kick them out the door. We fix their lunch, give them two bags of Skittles, throw it in a bag that used to be the pooper scooper, and send them off to school. And then we're not going to give them a bath for three and a half weeks. Why sweep the floor, we think? Scoot it under the refrigerator. You know, the other day, I I had to pull out the refrigerator to change the water filter. And my wife said to me, wait, wait, wait a minute. Don't push it back. Don't push it back. I want to clean behind it. I want to sweep behind there. And I said, what for? Nobody's going to see that. But she knew what I'd kick behind there. And it doesn't matter if anybody can see that. She knows it's there. And she's not going to sleep at night until that gets cleaned. Women are just better than we are. They care about the home. They are compassionate. They're too compassionate To let us get by the best that we can. They have to fix us because we can't fix ourselves. And when I say things to her, I say, well, let's go on vacation. And she says, no, let's don't go on vacation. Let's spend the money on the house. Why did she do that? Because the house is her domain. That's the thing that's important to her. And if I just listened to her, it'd be so much easier on me. I mean, I can tell you, next month, I'm not going to be a virtuous husband. We're going to go on vacation. But it's going to cost me because I promised her, all right, then we'll spend as much money on the house as we do on vacation. Now, let me, let me just add this, too, that a virtuous woman is not all about cooking and cleaning. She is compassionate about the souls of her family. She wants a godly presence in her home. Jorge teaches kids in Sunday school, and he said, you can tell, you can tell which of the kids don't get any Bible at home. He said, it shows Now, you might want to cover up your toes here for just a minute. Moms, are you the rare jewel that models Christ in front of your children? Do you take them to the Bible for life's lessons? Or do you stick them in front of the TV or with a video game, and that's their pacifier? Do you ever take them to the Bible to read them a story? If your kids go to public school, they're being indoctrinated with just about everything that leads them away from the Lord. What are you doing to bring them back? How how are are you taking time with them or are you taking time with them to straighten that out? How do you think these ungodly opinions about gender neutrality and all that garbage is formed? It's the agenda of the public schools to eliminate Christian influence from society. So you'd better be doing something in your home to counterbalance that. Turn them around. Have compassion for their souls. Help them to be godly children. Well, now we come to the conclusion. What happens to a godly woman who's taken hold of these wise recommendations? Well, fourthly, a godly woman receives recognition. Verse 27, She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Now, the end of this is the recognition that she receives. Her children realize what a treasure they have. Now, while they're in the home, they may not understand that. They don't know how valuable that, that mom is. Children are often hateful to their parents, to their mothers. Sometimes they're disrespectful. And I'll have to tell you this, that the right response to that is not time out. Nowhere in the book of Proverbs does Solomon say, well, you're ready to have time out for these kids. No, his answer is a willow switch. And when I was young, the biggest enemy of kid was a willow tree. We had one of those in our backyard. It was a huge willow tree. My mom and dad had an endless supply of switches. And this might seem strange to you, but when I built my second house, I knew I needed a willow tree by then. And I planted one in the backyard. I know you think that's a little bit weird, but I never realized how valuable that a willow was until years later. It's when children are older and they leave the home that they begin to understand how valuable that good discipline is. They learn to appreciate a mother who taught them to obey. It takes years to learn that lesson. Ten-year-olds don't plan services like we're having today. This is done by those of us who've lived through it. We've had a godly mother, we've learned to appreciate that, and so we plan a day of recognition. We know that what mom did for us is too valuable to ignore. Her care, her compassion, her industriousness, her discipline makes us love her more and more. Now you go back to verse 25 where it says that she makes clothes, she takes care of her family. There's a metaphor that's used in this verse. Strength and honor are her clothing. The husband recognizes this. He knows that that he could not be half the man that he is without her. And the children get that too. They wouldn't substitute mom's name for a curse word. Never would they do that. Don't try it with them. Don't insult mom. If you do, you take your life in your hands. What is it that a godly mother wants? She wants to raise her children to know how valuable she is to them. It's to... For them to give her the recognition that she provided a good home, a safe place for them, a loving environment, one that they miss, they will miss when they get older, and they want to go back to and visit mom again. And then what do the children want most of all? They want to model their home after that family, uh, the family life that they had, the home that their mother made for them. That's what ensures God's command that they will always honor father and mother. And then there's the best recognition of all. And this is to know that all of this was done for the Lord. The best reward is to hear Christ say, well done. Now you see, this is where the feminist fails. She does what she does for self. She wants to empower women as women for women. But God wants women for Him. He wants women for His glory. And that's what this woman is all about. She exists for His glory. She glorifies God by taking her place, honoring her husband and caring for her home. Because the home is the basic building block of society. There's nothing more important for the world than the Lord's church and a home that's been built by a godly mother. Now this... This is the most valuable work that can be done. No public job is ever going to produce this kind of satisfaction, nor value for society like a godly woman. She's hard to find. She's very hard to find. She's a precious jewel of the rarest kind. Her price is far above rubies. One day she... She'll be honored with the highest of honors. Her husband and their children will do it. They'll be the first to do it. She's going to be blessed and she will be praised by them. And then God will honor her in His kingdom. And she'll be a part of His jewels that make up His crown. What a precious treasure that a godly woman is. Treat her like that. Treat her like the treasure that she is. She is rarer than rubies. Verse 30, favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. You know, it's been said, it's been said that behind every successful man is a very surprised mother-in-law. But she shouldn't be. She shouldn't be. If, if she was a godly wife. If, she, if he has a godly wife, I mean... She shouldn't at all be surprised by that because we men, we know this. Our success, our success is dependent upon that woman that stands behind us. So much of it does. Thank God for the godly woman. Thank him for the wives, wives that are what they should be. Favor is deceitful, beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for mothers. Oh, what a wonderful privilege that it's been for me in my own life to have a a mother that served you, a a godly mother who was concerned about me as I grew up. And then, Lord, that you, in your divine providence, led me to a woman that was willing to put up with me, Uh, a godly woman, a rare jewel. I thank you for that, Lord. No, No words can express what it means to have somebody that loves you and stands with you and is there all the time for you. I thank you for that, Lord. And I know there are others in here today that can say the very same things that I've said. We are a church, I believe, that's filled with godly women. And I thank you for that. It's been a pleasure to serve with them here. We exalt and honor women to take the role that you've given them. And we understand, Lord, they're not inferior to us. They don't stand below us. They stand beside us in the role that you've given, and that makes them so special. We just thank you for it. Bless us today as we consider these things and help our families to be what they should be. Help us to honor you, Lord. And then we know someday you'll lift us up to sit in heavenly places with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronart Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church sixty two ninety eight Country Club Drive, Ronart Park, California nine four nine two eight. Additionally.